What is truth? Pontius Pilate had once asked that rhetorical question when Jesus was in front of him when he was on trial. Now, keep in mind that Pilate has the life of this man in his hands. He wants to do the right thing, but he isn't sure what it is. Because the world, in this case, the, the Jews, they are all yelling, crucify him, crucify him. This man is a criminal, and he deserves death. Pilate, of course, knows the truth. He knows he's not guilty. And yet, because of the pressure, he hands him over. And Jesus, of course, dies. Now, this was part of God's plan, and we understand that. And yet, our actions, they are going to determine the fate of those people around us in many cases. We want to do what's right. We want to know the truth, especially as a people of God, as, as followers of Jesus Christ. We want to know the right answer. We want to do the right thing. And yet we understand that the world is complex. There are all kinds of pressures, circumstances around us that often sway us into something that is not the truth. So as a people of God, this question there highlighting your notes, how do you find firm ground to stand on an issue? Whatever the issue of the day might be, whatever the issue of the moment might be, whatever your conscience is telling you to do when the world is telling you to do something else. The world these days would say probably only three things. There are no absolute truths. All truth is relative. And you, or me, or anyone else, does not have a right to foist my ideas of what is right and wrong on anyone else. So let me review that with you again. There are no absolutes. All truth is relative, and you have no right to force your idea of what is right and wrong on anyone else. Now, it's not just me saying that. A Gallup poll recently said that 62% of American adults agree with those three statements. Our schools and our universities, our colleges, our places of higher learning are religiously, and I use that word judiciously, religiously are indoctrinating our students in those three areas. No absolute truth, all truth is relative, and you have no right to foist your ideas of what is right and wrong on anyone else. Now, it may not be surprising that that is what our schools are teaching. What is surprising is that there was another poll done by a researcher, George Barna, who says this, that 88% of Christians, evangelical Christians, that would be people like us, who share the good news of Jesus Christ, 88% of us would say the Bible is, in, is the infallible word of God. It ought to be 100, but 88 is pretty close. And yet, 53% of that same group, barely half, say there's no such thing as absolute truth. How can that be? 
that is the world that we are living in. I wish that we had the lasso of truth that Wonder Woman is so famous for. And we just throw it around people's necks. And not only would they know the truth, but they would actually utter the words from their mouth. So again, how do you find firm ground to stand on an issue when even Christians can't agree on what is true? And yet Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. In other words, unless you speak the truth and live the truth, you aren't really my disciples. But if you do hold to my teaching, Jesus says, then not only will you know the truth, but the truth will set you free. So most of the world is in bondage. They are slaves to the opinions of others or their own ideas. And yet they would say that you have no right to tell me <laughs> what truth truly is. So this morning we're going to take a look for a few moments on how we can know the truth, how it sets us free, and how we can have a loving and persuasive voice in the world to help set others free as well. So, of course, we begin with the Holy Spirit, who Jesus said as he was speaking to his disciples just before uh, he went to the cross. He said, I have a whole lot more to say to you. It's a whole lot more than you can ever bear. But know this, after I leave, the Holy Spirit will come, and the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. All truth. Wait for the Holy Spirit. He will guide you into all truth. And he will do that through the Word of God, through the Scriptures, through the Bible, which again, at least 88% of us agree, is infallible. It ought to be 100. Now, Laura did this great little experiment with our kids here a little bit ago. Uh, I used to do a similar experiment in confirmation class. I did not use lollipops or suckers, but I used jelly beans. Now, it's much better for Laura to use suckers because who wants to eat a jelly bean or just one? You want the whole jar. So I couldn't give that away, so I had a jelly bean jar, and I would ask my confirmation students, how many jelly beans are in the jar? And we would take answers just like Laura did. Might be there were more jelly beans in the jar, so it might have been 250. It might have been 312. It might have been 427. And then there was the right answer. And just like Laura, I would wait till the end to tell them the exact number. And then I would ask them another question. What is your favorite song? And I get all kinds of answers. Might be a country song, maybe a rock song, maybe a hymn. That always made me feel good, right? One they heard in church. So we'd get all these answers. I'd write them up on the whiteboard. And then I would ask them, which of these is more like faith? And they would all agree, without fail, that choosing one's faith is a lot more like choosing one's favorite song than it was in choosing the jelly bean. And then I would make this point, and the same one that I want to make to you, that faith is certain. Faith is not vague. 
And truth is not a matter of opinion. And so later on, when we make our profession of faith, we are going to say, I believe in God the Father Almighty. I believe that God has created the heavens and the earth, that we are not a product of evolution, but we are a product of a God who loved us so much that he would create us and give us this beautiful world in which to live. And then we go on and say, I believe in God the Son. He is not a God, he is the God. He is not just a representative of God, but he is the Son of God. He actually lived here on this earth. He lived perfectly. And then he died on the cross. He has risen from the dead. He has ascended to the right hand of the Father. And I do believe in a Holy Spirit who lives in my heart and in your heart. I believe in a Holy Spirit who guides us into the truth. We know exactly how many jelly beans are in the jar. We know how many suckers there were. How many? Forty-four. How many did she give out? <laughs> Forty-two, is that what it was? And that's the answer, isn't it? Not because I say it's otherwise. But there's one answer. And that's the point for us today. Truth is not a matter of opinion. Let me try another exercise. Two plus two, fill in the blanks, equals four. Why isn't it six? Because it's four, and it's always four, and it's always been four, and it always will be four. Which direction does the sun rise every single morning? Anybody? In the east. It will always rise in the east. In which direction does it set? The west. It will always set in the west. No matter what I say, or you say, or anyone else says, that is the truth. Gravity always works. And so if I jump off this building, I'm going to fall to the ground. I'm going to hurt myself every single time. It is infallible. It is absolute. It is the truth. And so the number of jelly beans in the jar doesn't change. So the Holy Spirit guides us into the truth through his word, truth about God and the way in which he redeems the world. And th this is the truth, then, that will set me and you free. It is one of the greatest concepts of Jesus' teaching. And yet there are three difficulties with the truth. The first one is, where do you find it? You know where to find it. I've already told you where to find it. It is in the Word of God. And yet, the world is looking for truth in all the wrong places. They're looking for it in their own heart. They're looking for it in the world. They're looking for it in other sources. And so we need to point them to the truth. But after we find it, then you have to act on it. Which often for us, as the people of God, is the most difficult thing. Reminds me of two men. They had a dispute. 
And so they went to an arbiter, a judge. And so the judge said to the plaintiff, let's present your case. So the man jumped up. He was persuasive. He used eloquent words. And after he was done, the judge says, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Well, then the defendant jumps up and he says, wait a minute, judge. I haven't even had a chance yet to present my side of the case. He, too, is eloquent, and he's very persuasive. And after he is finished, the judge says, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Well, then the court clerk jumps up, and he says, well, they can't both be right. And the judge says, that's right. Find the truth, and then act on the truth. And finally, as the church, we must speak the truth. Even though at times it is incredibly difficult and even painful. How many times have we argued with someone who is not a believer or doesn't accept all the truth of the Bible and follows the way of the world or only of their own heart? And it brings a divide among us because they're going one direction and we're going in the other, and we are tempted then to go along with them, to waver. Well, I think as we look at the words of St. Paul this morning, it was a rather long reading here from the book of Acts, but I thought it was necessary to help us have a guide on how we today can follow the example of Paul 2,000 years ago. So imagine, you are in a foreign country, now, this is not difficult for me because I was just in Greece. We were at the very place where Paul spoke these words. It's called the Areopagus after the war god Ari. It's an outcropping of rock and it's just below the Parthenon. Parthenon is this incredibly splendid building. It was constructed for the goddess Athena. Her Roman counterpart is Diana, and Diana is the model for Wonder Woman, Diane Prince. So imagine now you are in a foreign country, and you see this incredible monument to a goddess. But not just one goddess. You see the, the frontal piece there. It has all the gods of Olympus, the twelve. Olympian. But inside there are many other statues of hundreds of other gods. A whole pantheon of stone and gold and wood. And now you're invited, as Paul was, to the city council. They recognize that you are a, a, a person of importance. And they say, come and talk to us. Let's discuss philosophy because that is what we do. Kind of like Facebook today. And everyone has their opinions and their ideas. And they say, what do you say? And these are the words of Paul. He says, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. 
You see, the Greeks didn't want to leave anyone out. The reason they had so many gods is because they felt if they could please just one of them, they would get blessed. So you increase your odds that you have the right God by having more statues. And then you hedge your bet by putting an altar to an unknown God just in case you missed one. Paul does not say, you stupid, idiot, heathen people. What are you doing worshiping stone and wood and gold? Has any of these statues ever spoken to you? Of course not, because they're not alive. They're not God. And unless you change your ways, you're all going to hell. If you were to do that in AD 51, you might change your mind after you got out of the hospital. And yet, that is what we do today as Christians, don't we? We use these snarky responses to people. And we tell them how crazy they are and how deranged they are and how misguided they are. Do you win anyone to the truth using that kind of an approach? We don't use the turn or burn approach, but we also don't use the safe approach. Paul didn't just say, hey, it's all cool. <laughs> hey, dude, <laughs> believe what you want. It's fine. You go your way, I'll go mine. He told them about the true God. First, he, he found common ground. You're, you're very religious people. And there are very religious non-believers today. They actually want to know the truth. They're seeking the truth, just like we do. And so we can help them begin on common ground. I see that you want to know the truth. I, know, I see that, that you want to find out if there truly is a God who loves you. Well, let me tell you, you were not made randomly. You just didn't happen to be here, but providence. God himself, a God who loved you so much that he not only created you, but because you do things improperly, and you know that you do because you have trouble in this world, your conscience bothers you. You try to go in one direction, and you find out that it isn't working for you. You have conflict with other people. You regret some of the things that you say, some of the things that you've done. In your heart, in your conscience, hurt. And I can tell you why. Because there is a God who has put in your heart the truth. And because you don't want to believe it and go your own way, that's where your trouble lies. Here's the good news. This God who made you loves you so much that in spite of going in the wrong direction, he has found a way to redeem you in the most intimate and personal way possible. He sent his son to this earth to become, to become flesh and blood and to suffer in your place and to die on the cross for you. But not only that, he has such power to go along with his love. 
raised that son from the dead. And one day when you die, you know that everyone's going to die because you've seen it. Your friends and family members, every one of them, they get to a certain age and they die. And one day that's going to happen to you. But it isn't the end. It doesn't have to be the end. It's just the gateway to an even greater life. To be with that God who loves you and who died for you. He has the power to raise you from that grave and to live with him forever. Church must speak the truth. But we do it out of love. Because we want that person to be with us in the Lord in heaven forever. Superpower of Wonder Woman. It's not those fancy bracelets. Not even the lasso of truth. Just like Captain America's superpower wasn't super strength or the ability to fly or x-ray vision. It was his ability to do the right thing. For Wonder Woman and for us, the people of God, it is the power of love. You don't have to have any other extraordinary gift. As St. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, and in our epistle for today, he says that this is the most extraordinary way. And then he goes on, and you've all heard these words before, probably at a wedding. He says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. We read this at weddings, but it wasn't meant only for couples who were getting married, but it was meant for all the people of God, and not just as we treat one another, but as we treat the world. Do it with love. Love always protects, and love always speaks the truth. And that is how we overcome the evil in the world. Just as Jesus overcame evil by going to the cross, we now bear our own cross, and we speak the truth in love. Not only to set ourselves free, but the world around us as well. Let's all rise.